We'd like to thank our friends at PwC for their support, partnership, and collaboration in making Retail Gets Real. Learn more about how PwC helps retailers at pwc.com. What we're seeing is that people are using spaces differently and they're bringing retail into the space. So think of someone like WeWork and inside of WeWork, which as you know is, a, is businesses that are collaborating in a shared space, is We Market. And We Market brings together outside businesses and businesses that are part of a WeWork agenda, a, a group, and allows them to sell in this space. I'm Bill Thorne from the National Retail Federation, and this is Retail Gets Real, where we talk with retail's most fascinating leaders about the industry that impacts everyone, everywhere, every day. With so many emerging technologies, new disruptors, and big players making bigger and bigger moves, retail can be a difficult industry to predict. Yet every year, the experts do their best. Today, we're going to be talking about some of the biggest trends and themes that are likely to shape the upcoming year. In just a moment, two of my NRF colleagues will join me, Catherine Cullen, the Director of Industry and Consumer Insights at NRF, and Susan Retta, Editor of Stores Magazine, to talk about what's in store for 2019. Catherine, Susan, welcome to Retail Control. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. How are you doing, Susan? I'm doing well, thank you. Catherine? Doing well as well. Happy to be back. I'm glad that you are back. You are always a font of knowledge. I, that's a good thing. Thank you. Is <laughs> that what my family says? Pressure is on. So, Susan, you <laughs> recently uh, published an article in Stores Magazine, kind of a forward-looking what to expect coming up in the upcoming year, some of the new technologies that retailers are using to meet consumer demands, to you know, add to the bottom line, to stay relevant uh, in the communities that they serve. One of those things that you talked about was storefront as a service. What is this trend? You know, it's a, it's a relatively new trend, kind of bubbling up. We really only started to see it taking shape toward late summer. And what we're seeing is that people are using spaces differently and they're bringing retail into the space. So think of someone like WeWork and inside of WeWork, which as you know, is, a, is businesses that are collaborating in a shared space, is we market. And we market brings together outside businesses and businesses that are part of a WeWork agenda, a, a group, and allows them to sell in this space. So you're you're finding out about whether the products work for the people who you are closest to and you're working with. So I think that you know, that that is the start of it. Uh, WeWork and WeMarket will have something like 500 units in the coming year. Let me make sure I understand. So you go into a WeWork space and they have literally like a, they've set up a, a, a kiosk, I don't want to say a kiosk, but like a marketplace where somebody can come in if they make soaps, you know, they've got this new soap, this herbal soap, they could sell it there? That is exactly it. Okay. Typically, they'll try to engage the businesses that have shared space at WeWork so that they can actually use it as sort of a test area for their products. So but, but we're seeing that even evolve because there was some discussion of 
uh, rent the runway having a tie to these we markets so that people who use rent the runway can drop off their apparel there. Um, again, it's, it's just about making everything simple, but changing the way we thought about retail in the past. So we're also seeing businesses like Bulletin, which has just uh, maybe two, I'm going to say maybe three units in New York, brings together women-backed businesses, um, allows them to show what, what the products that they're making in this small bulletin space. Um, and then a portion of the proceeds are donated to Planned Parenthood. Hmm. Again, just changing the way we thought about retail. We've talked in the past, I know about Neighborhood Goods, which is opening in Texas. Changing the way a department store traditionally did business by saying, what are some of the different businesses that we can bring together and give them this space to share opportunities, to learn about their customer, to learn more about their business? Um, and it's not a forever commitment because they're constantly looking at whether you're actually turning product and you know driving sales per square foot. But um, it gives different opportunities for businesses that are direct-to-consumer and just emerging to actually try something Maybe buy a couple of shelves or rent a couple of shelves to show your product, see if it works, see if it doesn't, um, and tweak it. A lot, there's a lot happening there, and there's sort of a hybrid of this, this idea as well. When you think about Nordstrom Local, I mean, now here's a huge company, right? But they've developed this small space, and they're bringing together businesses that are you know, allow tailoring, allow you to have a cup of coffee, allow you to have your nails done. So it changes the footprint of retail and makes it more service-oriented for the consumer. So we always hear about experiential and retailtainment. This is just another addition to that, I would assume. You know, I think it is, it's part of the evolution, and I think it's a very practical evolution. Um, some of the things we've seen happen in retail entertainment and retailtainment um, have been a little over the top. Right. Um, uh, we've seen a lot of Instagrammable type of experiences, um, and uh, so I, I, I tread lightly here because I'm not purely the Instagrammable person. <laughs> um, however... I, I, I've I always think, thought of you as Instagrammable. Thank you. I, I think you're diminishing thank your you, Bill. <laughs> Instagramness. But I think at some point it becomes gimmicky. And I think the challenge for retailers is to keep the space exciting and experiential, but not necessarily gimmicky. Right. We don't top. all want to hang from a chandelier and post right. it. Right. It just wouldn't Speak work for, for me. <laughs> you haven't seen yeah. Catherine's Instagram account. <laughs> But I think, you know, to your point, I think we're seeing spaces sort of build in this idea of experience from the very beginning. And from what we've seen on our research, consumers really like it. Um, I think about half of consumers said that they had gone to a retailer event in the last year and about 60% want to. So it is working even on the gimmicky side. Don't check out my Instagram feed. I am not hanging from a chandelier. <laughs> but, um, but I bet you there's some interesting stuff on there. <laughs> Moving on. You know, on. I, that's going to be the first thing I do when I leave. 
this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, Susan, one of the other trends you talked about that I thought was really interesting was about sustainability and transparency. And I think this idea of values and value-driven brands, I know we've seen on the consumer side, that's something people are looking for. I was astonished by this stat. Close to 60% of consumers said they would stop shopping one of their favorite brands or retailers if they found out that the values didn't match their own. Yeah. Is this something you're seeing? Do you think it's going to be on the radar for 2019? Yeah. Oh, I absolutely think it's on the radar for 2019. And and I've, you know, personally, I've had that reaction. Um, Sometimes you just get so caught up in in what's important to you um, that... If a brand is going so far to the opposite side of what you believe, you know, I don't, I don't really need that in my life. Um, <laughs> so you start making decisions. Um, but I, I believe that sustainability in particular is a trend that really has developed roots. Um, we're seeing more and more companies pay attention to creating products that are better for our environment and better for us. I've seen so many direct-to-consumer businesses emerge in this space. Um, On the bedding and linen side, we've got uh, Parachute and Koyuchi. On the apparel side, um, Everlane for sure. And Eileen Fisher, who who was just like the stalwart for that business um, so many years ago. And they're creating new product based on you know, recycled plastic. Uh, Everlane has a whole new outerwear collection based on recycled plastic. Uh, North Face has the same. Koyuchi has a really interesting program called Koyuchi for Life. And they, again, they sell bed sheets and towels. And, you know, no surprise, it's pricey product. Um, and it takes a lot to develop products like this. But when you grow tired of them, if you're the kind of person who says, oh, "I got to change this bedspread. I'm sick of it. I've had it for eight months," you're you're going to hold back on doing that if it costs you several hundred dollars to purchase your duvet. So, understanding this, Koyuchi has said, "You know what? Let's let's create a deal where you bring it back to us. We'll recycle it for you. Give you a discount on the next thing you want to buy, so that." You don't just stockpile linens you're no longer using and or put them back into the environment in, in, in a negative way. Eileen Fisher does the same thing with, with apparel and making sure that they repair apparel. Think of Patagonia and uh, for years doing things like this. It really does matter that, to the consumer who's saying, I don't need all this stuff. I want experiences and I want product that's going to last and is good for the environment. Is that a generational thing? I mean, or is that spreading beyond generations? I think it's spreading beyond generations. I think you're right. I mean, it used to be, when we talk about it, we'd always talk about it in the vein of, you know, millennials and social good. And yet, I think more and more people are getting tuned into the importance of rewarding those who are concerned about our environment and concerned about how we can better, you know, leave this planet for the next generation. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily somebody that walks into a store and says to the clerk, show me your most sustainable products. Um, but I am someone that when I read about it, I might go seek it out. Right. Eventually. I actually was at um, a breakfast with the founder of Parachute, which 
also is a brand that is well known for sheets, towels, bedding products. And um, they opened a session with a Q, uh, like a true and false. What did you think? Uh, one of the things that is actually the most toxic, and I felt like, oh my God, I'm a bad person, are dryer sheets. What? Oh. If you're putting dryer sheets in your dryer, I mean, it's just like, why don't you apply chemicals right then? And, and I felt like such a bad human being. I do not want to I take this off into a dryer sheet conversation. <laughs> However, having just done laundry last night and picking I'm up sorry, dryer Bill. sheets, what, what is the problem with dryer sheets? They're loaded with chemicals. Well, they smell good. I mean, how well, is- yes, but it, it turns out that if you can purchase dryer balls that are made of wool, they will soften your clothes, and your your clothes are going to smell fine. You know, if you've used a detergent. That- I am, guess I know what I'm ordering tonight. I am so Stop. well. I've seen those dry balls. You know, yeah. I, I, yeah. I actually was at a farmer's market not too long ago, and they had them made out of uh, llama or llama wool, or is it um, what's that other creature that looks like a llama? Oh, uh, alpaca, yeah, alpaca, alpaca, okay, alpaca. Yep. yeah, and they and they had those dryer balls, and I was like, that's kind of weird. I don't know that I need alpaca fur in my. Uh... I made the change. I'm not looking back. I, really, I, mean, I huh. sat there and thought, oh, you bad human, and. Yeah, I do a lot of laundry, and I have no regrets. That's wow. how my family did laundry. I just assumed it was okay. <laughs> Learned something new. <laughs> well, this is, you know, you used to use the liquid, you know, um, mm-hmm. conditioner or whatever that was called, uh, fabric softener, and you'd, the problem was you'd always forget about it. So, you know, the sheets were just such a nice little. Oh, I forgot about that, so I'll just do it when I dry. Anyhow, we did go off into the whole dryer sheet conversation. I truly <laughs> apologize. But it is a lesson and a learning for me. So, you know, one of the other things that you talk about, Susan, is um, AI, artificial intelligence. We hear a lot about that, and we're going to talk a little bit about robotics, I know. But um, AI, what is, what, it, it seems now that that is the topic about you know the future of retail and future of manufacturing, future of a lot of things. How is that being adapted by retailers to make that consumer experience better? Well, for sure, every retailer wants to talk about AI and who they've <laughs> who they're working with to deliver some um, some benefit. What I find about AI is that the most important thing is that the retailer understands what the problem is that they're solving for. AI is going to help you take all of the data that you've amassed and somehow make sense of it. But you have to know exactly what it is you want to make sense of and what is the end point that you're trying to get to. And I think just applying AI to everything and having that gee whiz moment won't deliver the value. I would agree. I think we're seeing that. You know, I think it's a really interesting time because we've been talking about AI for at least the last year, but from retailers we have been talking to, and we're coming out with a big study in partnership with IBM or early 2019 on automation. It's been really interesting to see the results. And what we're seeing is we're sort of at this tipping point where a lot of people have been talking about it for a while, investing in small areas, but really what they've been doing is building up their data to a point where they can start really utilizing it for AI purposes and to make smarter and faster decisions. And it's been fascinating to see where it's taking off in terms of supply chain, in terms of personalization. But I think those who are thinking about it in the right way are those who are thinking about in terms of what are the biggest problems I need to solve, not what is the next shiny object in terms of retail. Well, give me an example of that, Susan. I mean, if you can, I, I'm, I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but we're you know using the data, the, the retailer or retailer's 
have um, been able to solve for a problem or create an opportunity use, utilizing that data and, and AI. You know, I think a lot of it has to has to do with identifying the right customer and identifying the right merchandise mix, the right inventory mix. Um, so, again, there's just so much product that the retailer has out there, and but understanding what's connecting with the customer at what point, it's where AI and machine learning kind of come together, constantly looking at that data and refining it so that you get to a better picture of what needs to be on the floor, what needs to be marked down, and how to move that and cycle through inventory differently. I think that's part of AI. The other place I think we're really seeing it is on the personalization front. Now, there's so much data now on consumers, who your customers are, how they're shopping on mobile, on social, and uh, really being able to gather all that data together and predict what that person is going to want next. Um, you know, I think we've seen this in elements that uh, retailers have been using for a while, but they're really taking it to the next level in terms of really personalizing everything to you, uh, which I think is um, pretty incredible and exciting as a customer. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, is it exciting to the customer to think and know that somebody has all of this data about you personally? It sounds a little Orwellian, you know, or not. Well, I will say when I go to a website now and if I am seeing the same thing that my husband is seeing, I'm like, we're different people, <laughs> but we like different things. Um, I should see the products that are relevant to me and what I like to buy and how I like to shop, not what's relevant to him, which would be a lot of Star Wars stuff. Um, so you can see, not a fan of that. Mm. So if the data is used in the right way and effectively, I think consumers don't mind. You're not a fan of Star Wars? <laughs> I was just doing Darth um, Vader earlier. I you didn't never, tell me. I, mean, I will never be back on this podcast. No, that's fine. Um, they're don't you think just it... intrigued. I'm sorry if I upset you <laughs> <laughs> with my Darth Vader invitation. <laughs> well, ultimately, it's about... Using AI to deliver a better customer experience and whether that experience resolves, revolves around personalization or a better mix of inventory or, you know, we do know that there's pricing strategies that are based on what consumers, what's going to move that consumer um, and understanding that using AI can deliver a better customer experience. All right. I did say that we were going to touch on robotics and we're about to run out of time. So let's do this very quickly. Robotics. You said robotics and retail is wired for growth and disruption. What does that mean? I think that robotics as it, uh, given the role it plays on the supply chain side, will be really important. Um, I'm keeping a very close eye on um, Akato and what they have done. That is the UK supermarket. It is an online supermarket exclusively, but they've developed a warehouse where small robots can traverse the size of a soccer field um, and fill a 50-item order in five minutes. They're filling 65,000 grocery orders a week. Is it any wonder our good friends at Kroger were interested in partnering with them? Um, so I think, I think keeping an eye on how robotics is going to change retail is an interesting, in terms of the consumer wants it now, fulfillment is extremely important. It, you know, we want things to be on our doorstep seconds after we order them. And I think robotics is going to help deliver that. On On the other side, we're seeing robotics start to take a little bit of, to gain a little bit of interest on the quick serve restaurant side. Um, there are different companies out there who are using robotics to create 
bowls using robotics to create portions of a meal and it delivers, you know, that sort of consistency that we would all love to see in the food we eat, but it is what it is. See how long it takes for that to take route. Go ahead. Oh, I feel like we can't talk about robotics or automation without mentioning Amazon. Um, So what, what role do you think they're going to play in, in 2019? You know what? I um, have learned to just sit back and, and watch Amazon grow and change and do really interesting things. And so I'm, I'm sure there's more of that in 2019. Um, I'm really interested in seeing how they take the Amazon Go concept and roll that out. It, again, the consumer only has to experience something like that once to think, why doesn't everybody do this? This is the greatest thing. Um, and we are seeing that they're rolling it out pretty quickly um, from where they started with, we'll just test it to, oh my goodness, market after market. Um, and we're seeing lots of competitors move in and say, oh my gosh, this is important. So I think this is a year where Amazon really changes the way we shop. Yep. No doubt about that. Well, we are almost out of time, but before we go, we have one more segment. It's called Rapid Fire. One of our favorite segments on Retail Gets Real is Rapid Fire. Thanks to our sponsor, PwC. Now, we're going to change this around a little bit, Susan. This segment of Rapid Fire, we we, um, are going to ask you whether a, we're going to say a word or the name of something, and you're going to tell us whether it's in or out. Sounds like a plan. All right, Catherine, start us off. I think we have to start with adaptogens, in or out. In. Blaming everything on millennials. Out. Dog got it. Sparkling water. Out. Retail apocalypse. Out. Amen, sister. (laughs) Self-driving cars. In. The Kardashians. What I hope for <laughs> is out. <laughs> what I suspect is more of the in. <laughs> Not going anywhere. <laughs> Self-care. Oh, definitely in. Iceland? Out. I think that it's had its share of attention. Sorry to my friends in Iceland. <laughs> um, how about avocado toast? Out. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, it's just been played out too often. I would agree. How about, you know, now it's plant-based burgers. I kind of like it, though. Okay, well, last one, Susan, self-driving cars, in or out? We talked about that one. That's in, Bill. And I'm going to be in the back seat going, take me anywhere. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about that (laughs) on my my side. Susan, if uh, people want to learn more about this or Stores Magazine uh, Trends Forecast for 2019, where do they go? Please visit our website. It's www.stores.org, and you will find the article there in in all its glory. That sounds great. Catherine, Susan, thank you so much for joining us from this podcast. And thank you all out there for listening to another episode of Retail Gets Real. We're going to post more information about the topics we discussed today on our website, retailgetsreal.com. And if you like our show, do us a favor and recommend it to a friend or colleague. And Catherine, I am not your father. (laughs) Take care.